Right here at Ground Zero Meetings, we are continuing going through, you know, our Bible teaching. And last time that we were here, we uh, finished the Old Testament. So we are starting the new. You know, and, you know, this is a, a pivotal time in the history of man, in the history of Israel, because God had not spoken in 400 years. You know, that he had gotten to a place where he kind of stepped back a little bit because he realized the hardness of the hearts of Israel. And it just was not time for his grand plan of Jesus hitting the scene and shaking things up. You know, and it starts off with the book of Matthew. You know, it's not 100% that Matthew was actually the author. It's kind of unknown, but they give it, they attribute it to Matthew, the tax collector, who was one of Jesus' disciples. You know, and so many people have decided that that's who wrote it, and that's why we call it the Gospel of Matthew. Um, the New Testament starts with the Gospels, you know, which was the first four books, which were the eyewitness testimony of people that had seen Jesus, why he was alive, were present during the crucifixion and resurrection and seen him walking on the earth in his resurrected form. They were also witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit being unleashed into humanity, which is the presence of Jesus in a form that each one of us can have a relationship with Jesus no matter where we are. You know, the Bible tells us the same power that rose Christ from the grave dwells within each and every one of us. You know, and that's the power to regenerate a sinner's heart. You know, it tells us that we are born again. You know, I've heard many different sermons through the years, but one that has always stuck with me, you know, it says that if you do not have Jesus, that you need to be born again. If you say that you do have Jesus, you need to renew your mind, because our minds continue to be a dangerous place. Amen? <clears throat> you know, so basically the way that, you know, the Israelite nation, the Hebrew nation had been passing on wisdom is through this oral spoken tradition that they would tell these stories so often and so frequently that everyone would have them memorized. You know, it became so powerful that in the Old Testament, you know, Young men, by the time they were 13 years old, would have the first five books of the Bibles completely memorized and could orally speak them. You know, so this was part of their tradition, and it's still part of their tradition today, that they take great honor and pride in the ability to memorize and quote Scripture. You know, so when it says that the Gospel of Matthew wasn't written down until 40 or 50 years after the fact, it really doesn't phase them and it shouldn't phase us because they were so prominent in telling these stories that they were so prideful in a sense of having the exact details that no one would say that they are not telling the story correctly. So when Matthew wrote down these stories, when the other Gospels were written, there were still people that were alive that were able, or that were there at the, the time of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, 
that they would be able to come against the Gospels if they were false or if there was, if someone was lying. So that that is why we can say that this is an eyewitness testimony that we can, can bet our life on, basically. That we can say that the Bible is 100% true, accurate, the infallible Word of God. You know, you know, and as these, these words were beginning to be written on pages for the first time, and it's important that we realize that this book was written to a specific demographic. You know, as we're reading our Bibles, it's important that we take a moment and think about who's writing this book that I'm about to read. And who is this person writing this book to? It's very important for us to understand the bigger picture because there's times that we miss this and we just jump in and we start reading and we're like, I don't understand. You know, because there's history, there's slang, there's, you know, principles, there's certain scriptures that certain authors might use because who they're writing it to, it would make the most sense to. So Matthew, being a Jew, He's also writing it back to the Jews. You know, so he's making certain correlations. He's making certain points as he goes through the Gospels to, to help Jews make sense that this is truly Jesus, the coming Messiah who has been proclaimed since the beginning. <clears throat> so Matthew is showing this fulfillment that the whole Bible story about God through Israel is about Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah was from the line of David, and that he was a new authoritative teacher like Moses, and that Jesus was God. And a lot of a lot of people didn't like those statements. You know, it talks about that God is with us, Emmanuel. Matthew was actually, you know, telling Jesus' story right upon Old Testament scriptures. He's knitting these things together so that people can see that this is truly the complete story. You know, he opens up with the genealogies. And for us today, we're like, why am I reading all these stupid words and begat who and who is married to who and who is the father of who and But for them, this was extremely important to show the lineage and the authority of any said person. Because prophecy for thousands of years said that the Messiah was going to come out of Abraham's lineage. The Messiah was going to come out of David's lineage. So Matthew is making the point to connect the dots saying that He is qualified according to what we believe the Messiah would need to to have in his lineage. His blood needed to be the same blood as their ancestors. And he's going out of his way to make these points that he goes all the way back to Moses and Abraham connecting these dots. That he is the son of David and he is the son of Abraham. Jesus is going to bring God's blessing upon all nations because that was the the blessing that was proclaimed over Abraham's life. That he was going to bring everything together. 
that his descendants were going to be thousands of like sand on a seashore. And that they've been waiting for these prophecies to be fulfilled. And Matthew is saying that this is the guy. <clears throat> this is the one that's going to fulfill the Old Testament prophetic promises that all these nations would have one king. And he starts with the stories of the wise men. You know, the wise men show up on the, in the story and they're not Jewish. But yet they're recognizing the Old Testament prophecies. So the beginning is already using all nations to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not just using Jews, he's using everyone, all nations. That he's stating that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, and that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That he's stating that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin birth, that the Holy Spirit was going to conceive him, and once again, Emmanuel, that God is with us. That Jesus is a mere human, but he's also the Messiah, and he's also God. Because Jesus held, or the Jews held Moses with such high esteem, Matthew wanted to show how Jesus was the new Moses. That how Jesus came out of Egypt, Moses came out of Egypt. That Moses went through the water, went through the Red Sea. That Jesus got baptized in the Jordan River. <laughs> that God led Moses into the wilderness and the angels came and led Jesus into the wilderness. That it was so important that, that Matthew's making these connections that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness and Moses spent 40 years. That he's connecting these dots that they're so similar that Jesus is the new Moses. That after this, Jesus heads up on the mountain and begins to give the new law. Just as Moses went up on the mountain and brought the old one. Matthew is showing that Jesus is this greater Moses who has God's permission and who had been prophesied to come. That God is going to use Jesus to deliver Israel from slavery this new defined teaching that Jesus will save them from their sins and He will bring this new covenant, a relationship between God and His people. So Matthew is, is making these connections and he's showing how Jesus is this parallel to Moses. And because Matthew's Gospel has these five parts, it also is showing how Matthew's Gospel and the, and the Torah begin to match up as well that there's all these coincidences that these prophetic verses and these prophetic things that they would have stood on for hundreds of years, Matthew is saying that this is the guy that's bringing all these things together. He's showing that Jesus, as a teacher, came to fulfill the Torah. Matthew is announcing, announcing God's kingdom that it has finally come. And God's mission to rescue the world and all that is going to happen through King Jesus. The Mashiach, 
is what they would call him. The Messiah is what we would call him. That Jesus will restore God's reign over the world by creating a new family of people who will follow him, who will obey him, and who will live under his rule by living according to his teaching. So Jesus is starting his ministry by healing people and creating a community of broken people. Very similar to us. Now, I am not Jesus. I promise you that. But we are a community of broken people. That Jesus would be coming to us and has come to us in our most broken places. In the darkest of days, all of a sudden hope appears in each and every one of our lives. Every one of us in this room has a story. In a moment, things begin to shift. Now, were we completely out of the darkness? No, we were not. But all of a sudden, our, our eyes shifted. And hope began to come. Where moments prior, we were hopeless, we were broken, we were suicidal, we were addicted. We had nowhere to turn. And all of a sudden, the only thing that had changed is that our eyes looked upon Jesus and something began to stir in our hearts. Something began to stir in our hearts. That God is moving in this community in powerful ways. God is moving in our city even though this city seems like it's broken and there is no hope. The hope is not the government. The hope is not our economic structure. The hope is Jesus. So it does not matter who is in office. It does not matter how much money is in our pocket. We can have hope when our eyes are pointed at Jesus. Because if it's about government and if it's about economics, if it's about the money in our pocket, it's about our situations being different, we're always chasing something and we still don't have any hope. That we can have hope no matter what is going on. But when we focus our eyes on Jesus and we get into his word and we pray and we say, God, I need you to move. I'm ready to change. Things all of a sudden begin to stir. Sometimes there's suddenness. I've heard stories. Sometimes we got to walk this thing out. There's discipline and discipleship and accountability and it's a process. I'm so stubborn and arrogant, if I had a suddenly in every area, I'd be like, look at me, I'm awesome. <laughs> Jesus gives us a little bit of freedom in one area, and he says, now you got to do it my way. Because if he set us free in every single area, we would think that we're, you know, hot stuff, and we didn't have to follow any of rules. But it's not about rules. It's obeying his teachings because there's promise hooked to his principles. That when we live a certain way, He begins to shape us and change us and heal us. How many times do we say that this isn't going to work or this is stupid or this is blah, 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 grumbling and grumbling and grumbling and then we finally surrender to it and we're like, wow, this is amazing. His ways don't make any sense to us. There is no logical 
explanation that we're worshiping a Jewish carpenter who the world says is dead. And we're saying he's alive. We're saying he's alive. That he begins to move in this community, teaching them to live in this new way. That no one had ever heard a teacher teach the way that he was teaching. That when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, it baffled so many people. And yet the poor and the broken felt like they were finally home. This is where Jesus begins to to change our hearts as we follow him. That we learn to live in his kingdom. But his kingdom's upside down. It doesn't make sense. If we try to force Jesus to do it our way, it doesn't seem like we ever get anywhere, does it? But then when we begin to do it his way, and we see his kingdom for what it really is, that there really is no privileged people. That we're all new at this. The second we think that we haven't figured out, we're starting back at the beginning again. Jesus accepts the poor, the addicts, the unworthy, the lepers, the notorious sinners. And he invites them in. And yet the rich and the religious can't seem to wrap their mind around it. That everyone is invited into his kingdom. And how we walk through the door is on our knees. That we have to surrender and we have to repent. So often we go through the motions of church and we're wondering why it doesn't make any sense. And we sit here and we're bored. And it's not working. And this is stupid. But here I am. I'm glad I'm here. Because we don't really know Jesus. We know the motions of how to go to church. But when we know Jesus, all of a sudden we want to be doing the things that someone else has been trying to get us to do, but we don't want to do. You know, I've talked with so many different people. And a lot of times I'm talking to church kids who have wandered away. And they've been gone for 10, 20 years. And I'm like, you should read your Bible. And I'm like, oh, stupid. I'm like, just try and see what happens. And all of a sudden their eyes open and they see it for the first time. I remember, you know, as I was challenged to read a page a day, and I started reading one page a day, I'm like, yep, fulfilled my qualifications to be a Christian. Read a page a day. And all of a sudden I got to the end of one page and I'm like, what's on the next page? All of a sudden one chapter turned into two chapters. All of a sudden I'm fighting with a book. One verse I'm pissed off at and the other one's like, ooh, I like that one. And I brought my Bible in to Pastor Mike and I'm like, do Christians actually read this thing? Because I've never actually met Christians that do this. And he laughed. Because technically none of us can do it. And that's why we need Jesus. And that's why we need our Word. And that's why we have to read it consistently. 
Because it doesn't matter how many times you've read it. You pick it up again and all of a sudden God says something new to you. God's always speaking. He's alive. He's breathing things into our life for what we're going through right now. You could have read a certain book 50 times and all of a sudden you're reading it again for the first time and it's like, I never saw that verse before. How come I don't remember that? How come I remember it this way? It's because we've twisted it to our own will. And finally we get to a place where God's like, oh, you're ready? Let's peel this back. Oh, that's fun. We really like that. Feels good inside. Thanks, Jesus. And all of a sudden healing begins to take place. And we stop looking to outside things to make us feel better because Jesus is on the inside healing us. You know, we turn to different addictions because we have pain on the inside. You know, I believe that I'm an alcoholic and addict. But that's not my identity. My identity is in Christ. I believe that I'm a sexual addict. But I'm no longer a pervert. I am pure in Christ. That my identity is in Christ, no matter what it is. Now I have a, a rut in the road to gravitate to certain types of sins. And I should keep close to Jesus and accountability if I'm ever tempted in certain sorts of ways because Christians will tell me that I'm healed in my alcoholism and I can drink normally now. And you know what? I'm not going by what you say. I'm going to go by the fact that I believe that if I pick up that drink, I'm not going to stop drinking. Oh, don't speak that death over you. No, I'm being wise. That's just me. If I have a problem with stealing, and Jesus set me free of that, should I go work in a bank? No. I don't think that that would be a really good idea for me. Why? Because I'm putting myself so close to temptation that I'm probably going to fail. Jesus gives us wisdom. And for me, I find that it's wise of me to, to know my restraint and that I can't partake in certain things that other people say that they can. Because they may drink one and go home. I'm going to drink one and never stop. That's me. You have to choose what you believe. But I believe that Jesus is coming into our lives in healing those most broken places that I didn't really have a drug and alcohol problem. I had a pain problem. And when I found a new solution, that solution being my relationship with Jesus, I had no desire to sin in those ways When I realized that I could find what I've been looking for in so many different faces, in so many different places, that I can find it in my relationship with Jesus, that all of a sudden something was different on the inside. That His kingdom came into a very broken man in a very unlikely way that logically doesn't make sense. That when we surrender and when we repent, and that we begin to serve Him as our King, that we begin to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden we get joined to a family that's way bigger than we could have ever known. And i got to tell you, that was really hard for me because Christians are weird. 
<clears throat> they do weird stuff. They say weird stuff. They act in weird ways. Amen. It's still true today. It's still true today. You know what? When I was running in this world, I did some stupid weird stuff. I did said some weird stuff. I went to some weird places. I remember the first time I was at a church conference and the Holy Spirit was moving in radical ways. I'm like, this is strange. And the Holy Spirit's like, you were in a crack house like six months ago. And I'm like, touche. <laughs> Got me, Jesus. I guess this isn't as weird as we would think. That Jesus came to fulfill the Torah. That he be, his life and his teaching transformed hearts of people. That no words, no rules could have ever done that before. Now that we see different people throughout the Old Testament that had encounters with God, that were living according to the Scripture, but it was few and far between. Now that there was always a remnant, but the majority of everybody was just serving whatever gods were around them and, and satisfying their fleshly desires and worshiping idols. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and all of a sudden people are radically being transformed in such powerful ways that the religious people thought that Jesus was a demon or he was using the power of the devil to cast out demons because they did not understand God's kingdom. That Jesus' teachings went to the lepers, went to the Roman centurion, went to the sick moms and went to the, the demonized men that everyone would have considered them unworthy of God. That he was so powerful that his words calmed the sea. And they were like, who is this guy? That he healed paralyzed men. That he opened blind eyes. That sick women were no longer sick that no one had ever seen or heard anything like what Jesus was doing and teaching, and they began to follow him. But Jesus is making this point to the Jews, or the religious ones, that they couldn't experience this power, and they kept wanting Jesus to, to work a trick for them, so that, that maybe they could figure it out. How was he doing it? How was he, how was he playing these tricks? Because it couldn't really be the Messiah because he didn't come as they had thought. And so often we put limitations on the way God wants to move in our lives because we want him to move in a specific way and we put handcuffs on him. And it's not that Jesus can't move in that way. He's just like, no, I'm not jumping in your box. You've got to come out of yours. Because he wants us to trust him in his ways, not ours. But so often we're trying to get drag Jesus to do our will and he's like, I don't do it that way. You have to trust me that there is power in my grace. And the disciples began to follow him because of who he was and what he did. 
So often he spoke in parables that confused so many people that he would use the, the parables of the seeds and the soils, the pearls and the farmers, and people are completely confused by it. The parable of the mustard seed. But he was teaching almost like commentary in what was going on in the community. And he said that, that you will know the truth when you hear it. That your eyes will come open. Your ears will come open when you are a part of my kingdom. That Israel was expecting him to be a Messiah in a certain way. That he was going to destroy Roman influence in the area and take over in power. But Jesus' kingdom is upside down. That Jesus was performing these miracles and feeding numerous of people with just a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish. And as I was studying this, I know that there's different stories. But one time he was feeding the Jewish community and one time he was feeding the Gentiles. And I did not know that before. And as a religious person, you would have never associated with the Gentiles. And Jesus was always doing things outside of the box. He fulfilled the law, but yet he was showing that it's for everyone. That God's grace is not just restricted to Israel, that it's for all the nations. And they constantly said that he was a false teacher because of it. That he makes these blasphemous claims that, about himself, that Jesus is God. He asked his disciples one day, that, who do you say that I am? And Peter says that you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus begins to teach about what's to come, and he was quoting scriptures out of Isaiah that the Messianic kingdom had to come to a place of suffering and that he as a king was going to suffer and die. And Peter, thinking that his kingdom was going to be different, told Jesus, don't say that. Shame on you, Jesus. And Jesus like, get behind me, Jack. That there's times that we don't see it. And this is why it's important that we have a relationship with him from a day-to-day -day basis, that we're in our word as consistently as we ought to, because the second that we think we have this Jesus stuff figured out, we're missing the point. And it's so important that we're growing constantly in our relationship with him and, and getting into scripture and praying and saying, God, I need you. The second that we think, like, Jesus, I got this, we're in for it. You just wait here, Jesus. I got this part. Probably not going to go real well for us. Jesus is over there, like, tripping us. Like, yeah. Good luck with that. <clears throat> hey, Dad, he thinks he can do it again. <laughs> Jesus was positioning himself as this messianic king that who would reign by becoming a servant, that he was going to lay his life down for the people. 
and the disciples and other religious people just didn't get it. I think there's a lot of times that we don't get it. I think one of a, a true sign of someone that understands Jesus is that they're willing to serve. I also believe that in our codependency that this can get out of balance real fast. And it's important for us to have accountability and, and that we're not serving for the wrong purposes. Because we can serve for selfish means and we can pretend it's Christianity, but in reality it has nothing to do with Jesus that we're making ourselves feel better in the process. And all of a sudden we miss Jesus again. Jesus always has these things working against themselves at the same time. That the second we got it figured out, all of a sudden our ulterior motive, our heart is exposed. And Jesus is like, here, give me that. See that? That's what I really want. I'm glad you did that, but this is what I really want. He wants to get to the matters of the heart. And he'll use all different scenarios, trials, tribulations, people to expose what's going on on the inside because that's where the deeper inner healing needs to take place so that we can grow and become more like him. And then the ulterior motives begin to slip away because then we're doing it for Christ, not so that we're earning anything, that we did it because we've already been giving far more than we'd ever deserved. The second that we're trying to get something from Jesus by doing something a certain way, we're missing the point. That we don't deserve what He already has given us. That His kingdom is upside down. He exposes our value systems. He exposes the community. He uses the servant king and shows honor to those that The religious didn't understand. The religious people were always mocking Jesus by what he did and who he did it with. That they missed the bigger point. The Messiah came to be this servant so we ourselves would serve. That we would see these kingdoms clash that Israel's religious leaders and Jesus, the kingdom of God, came colliding together. That Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey and he goes into the temple and he starts flipping the tables. Claiming authority in his house or his father's house and that they were using that house to make money off the poor. And at this point, the religious leaders could not take it anymore. They've been plotting and planning and thinking of killing him, but now he's gone too far. He needs to die. Because the religious kingdom needed to get rid of this upside-down kingdom because Jesus did not have their perspective and their morals and their ideas of what was true and what was right in place. Because it was all about the hierarchy and the rich get richer, and the poor stay poor. These kingdoms collided as Jesus was asserting his royal authority over that temple because the temple had been compromised. 
He was pointing out the hypocrisy of the, the leaders in Israel. And Jesus was challenging their authority. And they were so deeply offended that his death was soon to come. That he offended them and made them so angry they went to any length to have him crucified. That Jesus takes it a step farther and calls them out for who they really are. You're just whitewashed tombs. You're just hypocrites. You're just a brood of vipers. You know, and for me, being a big sinner that I am, I find that it's really interesting that Jesus hangs out with the notorious sinners and who the people that Jesus is confronting the most are the religious of that day. And so often this world, as we live in it, don't see that king, the kingdom's upside down. And it's up to us to learn how to, to share our testimony to broken people. Because the church can still be broken. Because it has people in it. If there's ever a perfect church and we show up, we've doomed that church. Because that'll never be perfect. But it's important that we represent Jesus the best that way that we can Personally, first it's by my actions and then by my words. I love when people have that look on their face like a dog when it hears a really high noise and like, I don't understand that guy. Because I don't make sense. I walk into different spheres of influence and then all of a sudden the words that come out of my mouth don't match the person that I look like. And it instantly gets me past a lot of people's barriers because I come just as a normal person. And I think that each one of us has a sphere of influence in different ways because of just who we are. That we don't have to be anyone different than God created us to be However, we do need to live the way He's created us to live. And then by that, we're walking with an authority that lives in us. That same power that rose Christ from the grave dwells within each and every one of us. So as we go into our jobs, as we go into our families, as we go into certain places, there's something in us that's different than what's around us and that we can light up a very dark situation by the light that dwells within us. When we choose to do it His way, not our own, and just go through the motions of religion. Because the last I know that hasn't been working for me and it never worked for you. And I don't know why we still do it, but we do. And we hate it. And yet we go through the motions of religion. We sit in the chair on Sunday and we hate the music and the teacher's talking about us again. And This is boring. I can't wait to get out of here. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to do something on the inside, and we just can't get enough of it. We want more. We start picking up that boring book, and all of a sudden, it starts talking to us. We're like, whoa, that's freaky. That Jesus is trying to get our attention over and over and over again. That he tells them that the temple is going to be destroyed. 
But as Jesus dies on the cross, he's truly vindicated in the resurrection. See, Jesus is going to reign forever. And he teaches his his disciples to stay alert and to stay committed. And that announce that Jesus has this kingdom. And he's bringing the good news to everyone who will listen. So his last night, he shares this Passover meal with his, his disciples. And he retells the story how Israel was rescued from slavery by the death of the Passover lamb. That Jesus takes this bread and this wine, this meal, as the new symbols of our faith. That we, as Christians, don't really celebrate Passover, although we are celebrating Easter. It's the same day, but a different lamb was slain for our freedom. That he was sacrificed, that he would redeem all his people out of the slavery of sin. That right after this meal that Jesus was arrested and put on trial in front of the Sanhedrin, which was the council of Jewish leaders, And they reject his claim as the Messiah, and they charge him of blasphemy against God. That Jesus is then brought in front of the Roman governor, Pilate, who believed that Jesus was innocent, but he gives in to the pressure of the crowd. How often do we give in to the pressure of the crowd? That he told Peter that he would deny him three times, and Peter's like, oh, Never that, yo. I got your back, Jesus. And sure enough, with the pressure, Peter ran. Peter denied. Jesus was led away by the Roman soldiers and he was crucified. But Matthew brings all this together as the Old Testament scriptures show that Jesus' death is not really a tragedy or failure. It's the surprising fulfillment of all scripture that this suffering servant in Isaiah 53, instead of God judging them, that Jesus was judged on their behalf. And the consequences of their sin went completely on Jesus. And after his death, he put to rest in the tomb. And on on Sunday morning, Jesus raised out of that tomb. Matthew ends his book by Jesus' final teaching that he called to the Great Commission. That Jesus is the king of this world. It's our job to tell the nations so that everyone can join. Many years ago, I believed in God, but I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Because it's religious, you know. You know, and I had 16 months of consecutive sobriety. I was going to meetings on a regular basis. I was a success in the terms of recovery. And one day came after a meeting. <clears throat> I ran into somebody and I just saw the look on their face and I, I asked them, Kenya? And he said, yep. 
And before I knew it, I was on my way to my next relapse. And all the time in my head, I'm like, this is a bad idea. I shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. I shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. I shouldn't do this. And I couldn't stop myself. Because my will had been turned over to one of my old gods. There's times that we have yet to been able to, to stop ourselves from turning back to old addictions. And I went back and I relapsed and I went out hard for a couple months. And finally somebody came to my apartment and said, you know recovery's better. And in my head I'm like, either I'm going to die or the cops are going to come. So sure, let's get sober. It's fun, they said. And as they drove me to detox in Albany, I, I got a 12-pack of beer and I was chucking them down and there's some pretty fun stories of that day, but we won't tell them now. <clears throat> and after I was in detox for three days, they released me and sent me back to Utica. You know, and this world tells us that we got to go to to groups and go to meetings. So off to meetings I went. Now, personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with AA. I still go to AA today. I think that it's important. I also believe that it's part of my mission field. But I ran into a young woman. To say, my church is doing this recovery group. You should come. Can't hurt me. Why not? In June of 2005, I walked in to celebrate recovery for the very first time, not knowing what that was. It's a 12-step program that believed that Jesus was the only higher power. And I heard this message of Jesus, and although I've been to church hundreds of times throughout my life, I'd never heard that Jesus really loved me in spite of my sin, and that if I turned to him, that he would forgive me, and that he would come into me and, and begin to heal my wounds. And I sat there in that meeting just crying because I had hope for the first time. And I didn't understand it at all, but I was so broken that I came back to CR the next week And I came back the next week and I decided that if I was going to be serious about this God stuff that I should go to church. And I went to church from the very first time. and I don't remember what was preached that day, but I do remember a call to accept Jesus. And I ask you tonight, it doesn't matter how many times you've been to church, do you know Jesus? Because it's completely different. Because we can go to church as many times as we possibly can. And we can still be like, I don't get it. I get it, but I don't get it. Why do these other people look different than me? Why do these other people have something that feels like I don't have, but I don't want it, but yet I do? 
I sit here and it's boring and I sit here and it's pointless and I don't, I don't get it. So I just ask you what Jesus asks us. Do you want to change? So I'm asking you to take a moment to silently to yourself. And I know that most of us, not all of us, believe in God on one level or another. That's not what I'm asking you. Do you want to know Jesus more? So take a moment. Repent of the sins that you know that he's already talking to you about. And then commit to him, not to me, not to this, not to church. You commit to him and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to do it different because the way I've been doing it isn't working. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to surrender again. I'm ready to repent. Just take a moment. Lord, I, I just thank you for every man and woman that's here. Lord, I know that you're at work. I know that you're moving. I know that you're stirring some things in someone's heart tonight. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. It doesn't matter what you think you know. Each and every one of us needs more Jesus. Each and every one of us needs to go deeper with you, God. So I pray right now that those things that are in the way get broken off right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that the the prayers that we're praying silently are the truest we've ever been in the sense that we know that something's got to change. Lord, I pray for healing in our mind. I pray for the, the hardness in our hearts to begin to to be broken away, that our heart comes alive for the first time. I pray that this very night that hope begins to come into the darkest of places. That tomorrow, this evening, this evening that things will be different. Lord, I break off addiction right now in Jesus' mighty name. I break off whatever idol continues to distract us right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that our heart would be completely sold out for you. That we would no longer make these excuses over and over again and, and complain that we're stuck in the places that we're stuck. Lord, I ask that you would move in our hearts and our families in our lives, that you would change us once and for all, that we could begin to grow with you. That we would begin to truly follow your teachings, not just go through the motions of church. That you would break off sexual sin that's in our lives, that you would begin to heal the mind that we would no longer compartmentalize my life 
and then my life with Jesus. That I have these two different lives that I'm living. That when I'm around people that believe in God, I act a certain way. And when I'm not around those people, I act a completely different way. That you would break off that double-mindedness right now in Jesus' mighty name. That we would no longer be, be able to be that chameleon that we've been since we were little. That it would be so uncomfortable to be around people that you are telling us that it's time to stay away from. And it may be people in our family, it may be people that we love deeply, but it might just be time to take a step back. Because we know that if we continue to go in the direction that we're going, we're going to continue to be broken and empty. And we're going through the motions of religion, and yet we still don't know Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would follow your teachings and your teachings would set us free. That it's not some miracle potion, it's not some method, it's not anything other than following Scripture and being obedient to what you're telling us to do on a regular basis. It's not about the rules. And so often we make it about the rules, the ones that we're okay following, the ones that we're good at following, the ones that we would never follow. And we demonize the ones that we don't want to follow and we say that they're old. They're not for today. The culture has changed. And we get so proud of the ones that we're able to do on a regular basis all in our own strength. But if every time we try to press into Jesus, He's already speaking to us about the things that make us uncomfortable, so we stop talking to Him. We stay away from that book. Lord, I pray that something would begin to change in us, Lord. And as we just represented you, your death and your resurrection last weekend, Lord, I pray that we would die and come alive all over again. I don't care how long we've been saved, Lord. I pray that it would be like we're alive again for the first time. That you would pour out your presence upon us. That you would bring your presence into our lives, that you would begin to burn on our hearts, that you would begin to heal our wounds, that you would fill us from the inside out, that we could no longer continue to be lackadaisical and apathetic, Lord, that you would begin to move in this powerful way, that you would be setting the captives free all over again, that you would raise this family, this community of broken people that is this light that burns in the darkness, that you would begin to move in this way that changes us and everyone around us forever. Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you. Jesus ends, or Matthew ends his gospel with Personally, one of the greatest promises that I read in my Bible. That Jesus says that He will be with us. He will always be with us. So I pray right now, if you feel that you've been far away from God, I pray that His presence comes right now. And that you would realize that He is with you. That you would bring healing into the darkest of places. 
Lord, I thank you so much. Earlier when I was studying and writing this stuff down, I just really felt that we were supposed to do communion. Now this is a sign of those who believe. So if you would come up from the front to the back and grab a cup and grab some bread, I'll lead us through. Lord, I pray that you bless this bread, that it would be a representation of your flesh. Lord, just as you raised the bread and and blessed it, Lord, that it brought this multiplication in our lives, that you fed us. You fed the 5,000. You fed your people. So, Lord, I pray that you begin to come alive in our lives more than it ever has been. So if you can come from the front, and then we'll just go row by row. I'm sure we can figure this out. If you can just grab a piece of bread and a cup, and then wait, and we'll go through... You trying to get a sandwich? This is as ghetto as I could think it to be. We're, we're taking communion in styrofoam cups. You can't get you can't get much lower now. I don't yeah, it's it's a fine china of, of West Utica. It's not Doritos. We we could have. Maybe next time, Dorita. said that this bread represented his flesh. In Isaiah 53 that we read that by his stripes we were healed. That his flesh was broken so that we could have healing in our lives. So right now I want you to pray quietly in your mind of a healing that you need in your life, in your body, in your family, in whatever it is. And we're going to begin to take steps of faith here on Fridays and in this community and that we're going to believe that healings are going to start to break out. Not by us. It's not by me. It's not by us. It's not like we're super holy all of a sudden. But we're going to begin to take steps of faith that Jesus is going to do miracles in our lives. Because I don't want to go through the motions. 
I don't want to play church here on Friday night. I want to believe that God is going to move in powerful ways and our lives are going to be affected and we're going to begin to affect the people around us. So Lord, I pray that you would bless this bread as it is your body and that your word says that we're healed by your stripes. And you tell us to pray for healing. So I pray right now in your powerful name, Jesus, that there will be healing in our lives, in our bodies. And by this, we partake this bread. Your word says that your blood washes away all sin. In Romans 8, it says that there is no condemnation because the blood of Jesus has washed it away. And once again in Isaiah, it says that no matter how deep the stain of sin, as deep as the stain of crimson, as deep as the stain of this juice in our lives, that we would be made as as white as snow. So I don't... I don't know what everyone's struggling with, but I know that we're all sinners. We've sinned today. I guarantee it. And whether it's our biggest sin of the week or not, it doesn't matter. But we're going to take a stand right now and that as we partake in this blood, that it's a symbol of those sins being washed away that the shame that we feel because we're struggling in the areas that we struggle will be wiped away this very night. That there will no longer be condemnation. There will no longer be shame because we've struggled in a certain way. Now that doesn't mean that we may not be tempted when we leave here. But we will know that that sin has been fought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. So take a moment. And repent of that sin once again. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would set us free of whatever it is. I pray that suddenly would be breaking out all over this room, Lord, that we would hear testimony after testimony of things that we've been struggling with for years would be broken off this very night. I pray that the hopelessness and the shame that we've carried for years would be broken off this very night. The traumas that we've suffered as children, the things, the decisions that we've made as adults, that we carry this burden, this condemnation, this shame, just constantly hammers on us between our ears. I pray right now that there would no longer be the voice of the enemy, that Satan, you get behind us right now in Jesus' mighty name, that there is no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. And Lord, this is just grape juice, but it's a representation of your blood. And I pray that as we partake, that we would know, that we would know that we are forgiven. And I pray that if we're struggling with forgiving ourselves, that that would be broken right tonight as well. That that condemnation of not being able to forgive ourselves would be broken right now in Jesus' mighty name. So Lord, I pray that you would bless this. Bless this cup. Bless these cups. And Lord, help us to believe 
that the payment that you paid for us is enough. In Jesus' name we partake. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the men and women that are here. Lord, I pray that your presence is moving in this room in a very powerful way, Lord. I just pray that that you just continue to give us hope in the darkest of places. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.